Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Once again, welcome to another episode of The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. How is everybody doing? I am Richard Holdridge. Hope you had a great weekend. We had an absolute jam-packed weekend of nothing but sports. I will get into all of it on the show. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Newton, Georgia, from 5 to 6. And we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, Backwoods Barbecue, and Planet Fitness. And on the show today, I'm going to have my co-host, Corey Bank, as uh, we will have some thoughts on what happened over the weekend. I will get into all the local teams, including Georgia with a dominant win over South Carolina, Auburn getting blown out by Penn State, and the Atlanta Falcons almost coming back from a 28-3 lead. This is episode 463 on this September 19th, 2022, and let's get ready for a great show. I tell you, since I've started doing this show for an hour, I've had a lot of guests come to me asking to be on the show. And I have some flexibility of bringing multiple guests on to fill that hour time slot. And so the guests are going to vary from week to week. But I'm going to make an announcement on this show. Every week, my Wednesday's guest is going to be Justin Dale. So he's agreeing to come on the show on Wednesday to recap the Atlanta Falcons and talk about the Atlanta Braves. Well, what can you say? I was watching the Atlanta Falcons game against the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams, and all I got to say is as soon as they flashed the score 28-3 on the TV, the announcers just couldn't help themselves. But the Falcons had a pretty decent comeback, and I seriously thought they were going to pull that off. After they got the block punt, they get the two-point conversion. It's now 31-25, to and they get the ball back. But big-time players are going to step up. Aaron Donald put pressure on Marcus Mariota and the interception right at the goal line by Jalen Ramsey sealed it. It was really too good to be true. I was so hoping that the Atlanta Falcons would come back and win this game because that would rewrite the narrative. Now, this team is not very good, but they are going to get better, and they are going to be interesting this year. Marcus Mariota had a pretty decent game. He did have two interceptions, but he did throw two touchdowns, getting Drake London involved. But my question is, where is Kyle Pitts? Why isn't Kyle Pitts involved in this offense? And why was it so easy for the Los Angeles Rams to move the ball down the field? The Falcons' defense was able to hold the Rams to a field goal to make it 31-10, to and that's when the Falcons started their comeback. But the miscues and the interceptions and driving all the way down to the field only to have Young Way Koo miss a field goal, it was typical Falcons. The Falcons are now 0-2, and they will take on a Seattle Seahawks team up in the Emerald City against uh, Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. And the Seahawks are a slight favorite. This is going to be a very interesting season. The Falcons are going to do this all year. 
They're going to be in games, and they're going to show you what they are made of. End of the day, the Falcons just don't have the players to go up against the likes of a Los Angeles team or the Kansas City Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills, these teams that were built from the ground up with Hall of Fame general managers. When you don't have depth, it's hard to compete. And I was talking to a Falcons fan about why do the Falcons continue doing this year after year where they blow these leads. They get off to a hot start, and their defense just doesn't have enough players to stop the other team. Well, on this day, the Rams could probably say the same thing. The Falcons tried to come back, and it made for a very interesting game, and this team is going to be exciting. I got plenty of time on this show to talk about the NFL, but let's talk about all the games that happened over the weekend, and I will also reveal my top 10 high school teams for East Alabama and West Georgia. First of all, I just want to say a heartfelt prayer goes out to the Russell County family. You know, I've been a part of the Russell County family for a year now, and they are true, near and dear to my heart, and I appreciate everything that they have done. Um, All the sports teams have really took me in and allowed me to do my thing. Well, I called the high school game of the week on CW Jabama alongside Corey Bank. It was Russell County versus Wetumpka. And Wetumpka won the game 49-7, but that really was not important during that time. We later found out after the game was over that a Russell County student was killed in a car crash on the way to the game. And the class act between both teams after the game was over Russell County and Wetumpka go into the middle of the field to pray and then to pray with the fans and the boosters and the alumni and the students. And it just goes to show that there is more to life than football. Yes, we are passionate Russell County fans and we want Russell County to win. But they were playing a very talented Wetumpka team that does have a college quarterback. Nate Rogers is going to play on Saturdays. And they also have a college kicker. And with Tumpka's 4-1, Russell County goes to 1-3. They will take on Valley next Friday night. Hey, this is the week of IMG Academy versus Central. That game's going to be on ESPNU. I cannot wait for that. College football was pretty interesting. I was actually at a birthday party, but they had the game on Georgia, South Carolina. And just when you thought this was going to be a trap game, because I seriously thought, oh yeah, Georgia could probably slip up. It's in Columbia, South Carolina, hostile environment. You have Spencer Rattler, who was a Heisman favorite with Oklahoma last year, leading the Gamecocks. So when you have a formidable quarterback, he could make some plays. But Georgia proved that they're just as good as they were last year. And their defense has not skipped a beat. Yeah, they gave up that late touchdown, but that really was not a big factor. Stetson Bennett just looks so consistent throwing the football. And with his decision-making... Why is he not a candidate for the Heisman Trophy? And then you had the running backs, Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton. He spread the ball all around the field. Brock Bowers, proven that he is the best tight end in college football, should have won the Mackey Award last year because he was the best tight end in college football last year. Georgia is firing on all cylinders, and I don't see anybody beating the Georgia Bulldogs this year, including the Alabama Crimson Tide. Georgia is the number one team in all of college football. And there is a very good chance that they could win back-to-back national championships. What Kirby Smart has built at Georgia is something special. It reminds me of what Nick Saban was building in Alabama back in 2009. 
He got off to a slow start his first year, went 7-6. and six. But then in 2009, he met Florida in the SEC Championship game, and they lost. Wins a national championship in 2009 with Greg McElroy. And then they fell off a little bit in 2010. They lost three games, which that was unheard of for an Alabama Nick Saban coach team. Those teams were special because they were built off physicality and defense and not necessarily a quarterback. Alabama's still great. They beat Louisiana Monroe 63-7 to despite Bryce Young throwing two interceptions. And Georgia and Alabama are just going to continue trying to pad the resume. I see them blowing out multiple teams. So the Texas A&M Aggies defeated the Miami Hurricanes 17-9, to even though Miami outgained them and had more first downs than the Aggies. But this was a must-win game for Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies as they suffered their worst loss in school history the week before to App State. Looking at the schedule, Texas A&M, looking at the Texas A&M schedule, things get a little bit harder for them. Taking on Arkansas in Dallas, it's a neutral site next week, but having to play Alabama, Ole Miss, and Florida, I expect Texas A&M to turn the corner and just start Max Johnson. Now, there was a lot of things that happened in this game. Two wide receivers were suspended for violating curfew. Max Johnson was in at quarterback. I think that was a desperate move by Texas A&M. They didn't want to go with Haynes King. They wanted to go with the proven quarterback that could win. And Max Johnson was able to get the victory. Sometimes there are losses that resonate more than any other losses. That was a statement loss by Auburn. It just shows you that Penn State has better players than Auburn. Penn State controlled the line of scrimmage better than Auburn. And Penn State, for four quarters, pushed the Auburn Tigers around. It was an embarrassing loss, and it was the worst home loss for the Auburn Tigers in 10 years. Auburn is in trouble this year, and I would not be surprised if they fired Brian Harson midseason. Because he's done. You cannot lose to Penn State like that. Auburn wasn't even competitive in that game. Meanwhile, another local team that got completely embarrassed, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 42 to nothing to 20th ranked Ole Miss. Jeff Collins is done as the head coach at Georgia Tech. I don't see a way that Georgia Tech can salvage their season. They have a brutal schedule. But currently at 1 and 2, you look at Jeff Collins's record, 10 and 27. He's been the head coach since 2019. He went 3 and 9 in 2019, 3 and 7 in 2020, 3 and 9 last year. This has been the worst 3-year period of all time for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Look, Paul Johnson, I mean, he was the coach at Georgia Tech since 2008. He had one 3 and 9 season. But after that, I mean, he's averaged 7, 8 wins a year and go into a bowl game. He had 2 years where Georgia Tech won 11 games. So it's not working out with Jeff Collins. And I think that Georgia Tech, as sad as this sounds, they're fighting for recruits with Georgia State and Georgia Southern. That's how bad it is. There is talent in the state of Georgia, but Georgia Tech's not getting four or five-star recruits. They're lucky to get three-star recruits now. It's gotten really bad at Georgia Tech. 
And it doesn't get any easier next week because they got to travel to Orlando to take on Central Florida and that high-power Gus Malzahn offense. I don't expect the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets to win that game. And that's the expectations that we now have for Georgia Tech. So I'm going to run down all the other local teams in Georgia. Let's start with Georgia Southern. You know, after Georgia Southern knocking off Nebraska the week before, I actually whiffed on this pick. I actually picked Georgia Southern to beat UAB. Well, UAB won the game 35-21. to I mean, they were the better team. They were favored. Georgia Southern goes to 2-1, and and they will host Ball State next week. All right, Georgia State. 0-3, they have yet to get a win. They've played some tough opponents, but they had a home game. And congratulations to the local kid, Jamari Thrash, for getting a 32-yard touchdown pass from Darren Granger. But Georgia State loses the game 42-41. to Let's go over to FCS play. Kennesaw State did have a bye, but the Mercer Bears get their second victory of the season. With a 17-0 win over the Citadel at Five Star Stadium in front of a packed crowd of over 11,000 fans. Very impressive. And congratulations to LaGrange College for getting the 44-38 win over Ferrum. Aubrey Carter had 103 yards and rushed for two touchdowns. And so LaGrange is 1-1 on the season. All right, let's break down some of these NFL games. I'm going to start with the 1 o'clock window because uh, we had some crazy comebacks. I know I talked about the Atlanta Falcons already losing to the Los Angeles Rams 31-27. Well, let's talk about the New York Jets getting the improbable come-from-behind victory over the Cleveland Browns. The Browns were up 30-17 to with less than two minutes to go. The Browns had a 99.9% chance to win the game. The Jets get an improbable win over the Cleveland Browns 31-30. They were down 30-17 to with two minutes to go in the game, and Joe Flacco throws a bomb to Corey Davis. Then they go for the onside kick. Garrett Wilson gets the touchdown, and the New York Jets deny the Cleveland Browns a 2-0 start. What a win by Joe Flacco and the New York Jets. That was just an incredible game, but that was a, an incredible game of many. How about the Miami Dolphins and Tua? Getting six touchdown passes. They were down 35-21 to to the Baltimore Ravens. And I know I had Lamar Jackson on my fantasy team, and he did great for me. But the Dolphins were able to get the win over Baltimore, 42-38. to Jalen Waddle had two touchdowns, and Tyreek Hill had two touchdowns. You don't think Tyreek Hill makes a difference in that Miami offense? And right now, my leading candidate for Coach of the Year has to be Mike McDaniel. His offense and what Mike McDaniel is doing in Miami is something special. And I think the Miami Dolphins are for real. But they will be tested. Next week, they'll take on the Buffalo Bills. And now, all of a sudden, that AFC North doesn't look so special anymore. With Pittsburgh having their quarterback woes. Yeah, the New England Patriots beating the Pittsburgh Steelers 17-14. to You know Bill Belichick is not going to start the season 0-2. The Patriots are going to do whatever it takes to win the game. They play hard. They don't make mistakes. Damian Harris had a touchdown. Nelson Aguilar had over 100 yards receiving. And Mac Jones did just enough to win. And Mitchell Trubisky is not the answer at quarterback for Pittsburgh. They need to play Kenny Pickett. You got the New York Giants beating the Carolina Panthers. And Carolina's 0-2. And Matt Rule is officially on the hot seat. 
Brian Dable in the New York Giants, he does just enough to get Daniel Jones to win the football game. And Saquon Barkley and Graham Gano wins it with a 56-yard field goal. I'm glad I have him on my fantasy team. And the Giants are 2-0 for the first time in six years. It's always great when the Giants have a winning record. They'll take on the Dallas Cowboys next week. That is going to be a very exciting game. What's wrong with Matt Ryan? The Indianapolis Colts lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars 24 to nothing. Matt Ryan throws three interceptions. He was sacked five times. I thought that the Indianapolis Colts had a better offensive line than what Atlanta had. And I thought because they had a great defense, they had a good running game, I thought that Matt Ryan would be set up for success. The problem is, Matt Ryan only had a 34 quarterback rating. Is it possible that age has caught up with Matt Ryan? And Trevor Lawrence looked pretty good. Two touchdown passes to Christian Kirk and Jacksonville. One and one on the season. And five sacks. Is Saxonville back? Could Jacksonville get back to their days when they went to the AFC Championship game in 2016? But I really like the fact that Trevor Lawrence is making strides in year two. Boy, I was watching that Tampa Bay-New Orleans game. And Tom Brady didn't look all that great. Tempers flare as... Mike Evans and Marcus Lattimore were ejected. It was a 3-3 game going into the fourth quarter. And then Tom Brady comes alive with the 28-yard pass to Brashard Perryman. But he was yelling and screaming at his receivers on, on the sideline. You know, all the turmoil that Tampa has with three new offensive linemen. He doesn't have his offensive coach anymore. Todd Bowles is the coach, but Bruce Arians is still on the sidelines as a consultant. Tom Brady's 45 years old. He didn't have Chris Godwin. He didn't have Julio Jones. He's yelling and screaming at his teammates. Tampa Bay manages to get the victory. He's on the road in a hostile environment. He beats the New Orleans Saints for the first time in the regular season. And Jameis Winston just went back to old Jameis Winston. He threw three interceptions. The New Orleans Saints should easily be 0-2. This is not a good team without Sean Payton as their head coach. But Tampa Bay weathers the storm. They are 2-0, and they got a big showdown next week, which is the Fox game of the week. Tom Brady taking on Aaron Rodgers. That should be a lot of fun. On Sunday Night Football, the Green Bay Packers defeated the Chicago Bears 27-10, despite the Bears having a 7-3 lead. Justin Fields did not look great as the Bears quarterback, only passing for 70 yards. But it looks like Aaron Rodgers has his favorite receiver. Sammy Watkins with three receptions for 93 yards, and the Green Bay Packers are 1-1. One one. The Chicago Bears fall to 1-1. One one. You got the Detroit Lions defeating the Washington Commanders, 36-27. Jared Goff throws for four touchdown passes. This matchup featured the number one and number two overall draft picks in the 2016 NFL Draft, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. And soon as I heard the name Amon Ross St. Brown, I immediately went to waiver wires and see if he was available. He was not, but that should have been somebody that I should have picked up in my fantasy draft because he had nine receptions, 116 yards, and two touchdowns. And Detroit is 1-1 one one on the season. You know, Detroit's going to be competitive. They're going to stay in some games. They had a very close contest with the Eagles in week one, and they were able to jump out to that 22 to nothing lead on the Commanders, and they were able to hold them off. Oh, Weren't those games in the afternoon slate fun and exciting? Absolutely were, including the Rams and Falcons game, which 
was a blowout. The Rams were leading the Falcons 28-3, but the Falcons made it a game and almost won the game. But you have the legend of Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys getting the walk-off victory thanks to Brett Mayer's 50-yard field goal to win it for the Dallas Cowboys over the Cincinnati Bengals 20-17. And Cooper Rush did just enough to win the football game. If the Cowboys can weather the storm until Dak Prescott gets back, I think the Cowboys are going to be a playoff team. And I am so glad that I picked up Noah Brown off waiver wires and I started him in the lineup for my fantasy football team because he did not disappoint. Noah Brown led the way, five receptions, 91 yards, and a touchdown. Gave me a lot of fantasy points. And the Dallas Cowboys will have a showdown with the New York football giants next week on Monday Night Football. How about the Arizona Cardinals pretty much saving Cliff Kingsbury's job? I think that he would not survive this season if he started 0-2. The Raiders were up 23-7. And I'm talking not only up 23-7, but they were up big going into the fourth quarter. Arizona actually turned it over on downs late in the fourth quarter when they were down 23-7. On the last two drives of regulation... Arizona scored touchdowns, including an 18-play, 73-yard drive, and went for two. They were down by 16 and went for two both times. And Kyler Murray shows that he can make big plays with his legs. And then there was the fumble. Byron Murphy returns a fumble to the house for 59 yards, and that is your ball game. Arizona walks off with the win, and the Las Vegas Raiders are a very disappointing 0-2. I expected this Las Vegas Raiders team that made the playoffs last year, now with new head coach Josh McDaniel, now Derek Carr has got Devontae Adams, he's got some weapons, Darren Waller has got that extension, the Raiders have a decent defense with Max Crosby. I'm just a little surprised that the Raiders are 0-2. Russell Wilson gets his first victory with the Denver Broncos, but it was not easy. They were taking on the Houston Texans, and it was a game. Houston was up 9-6 going into the fourth quarter, and Russell Wilson was hearing the boos from the fans in Denver as their red zone woes continued, but it wasn't until the fourth quarter when Eric Saubert got the 22-yard pass from Russell Wilson, and the Denver Broncos win the game. They're 1-1 one one on the season. And it sets up for a massive Sunday night game next Sunday night between the Denver Broncos and the San Francisco 49ers. You got the 49ers that were able to beat their arch rival, the Seattle Seahawks, 27-7. But the story was Trey Lance exited the game and is going to be out for the season with a broken ankle. So as a 49ers fan, a sigh of relief for the fact that the 49ers decided to keep Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy Garoppolo did not disappoint. He led the 49ers to a touchdown drive on his first possession of the game. He went 13 for 21 with a touchdown, a quarterback rating of 100. And the big story for the Niners was their defense not allowing an offensive touchdown by the Seahawks. Two sacks by Nick Bosa. And their defense was smothering. They stifled the Seahawks. And this is really the first 49ers Seahawks game that I can remember in a very long time where it was a one-sided game. Usually these games, because it's a heated rivalry, goes down to the last minute. And for the past decade, Russell Wilson has owned the 49ers. So we should see what happens when the 49ers take on Russell Wilson on Sunday night next week. Uh, that should be an exciting game. And we got a doubleheader tonight in Monday Night Football. 
You got the Tennessee Titans taking on the Buffalo Bills, and then you got the Minnesota Vikings taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. I like that Eagles-Vikings matchup because both teams are 1-0, and both teams are, in my opinion, right now playing the best when it comes to teams in the NFC. The Philadelphia Eagles have the best rush offense in all of football, and they make it work. They make it work with Jalen Hurts, and now he has a new weapon in A.J. Brown, and the Eagles have some new pieces on defense, including former Georgia Bulldogs Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean. I think that the Eagles get the win to go to 2-0, and and I actually think that the Eagles are a playoff team. Once I get Corey Bank on the show, my co-host, we'll go ahead and break down some of these games that happened over the weekend to include college and the NFL. Like I do always on Mondays, it is time to reveal my top 10 high school football teams for East Alabama and my top high school football teams for West Georgia. So let's go. Number one, the Auburn Tigers. Auburn has been playing the most consistent football of any of the teams in the Chattahoochee Valley. Auburn got a decisive victory over Robert E. Lee on Thursday night, and they are riding high with confidence as they will take on a non-conference opponent next week, Ramsey out of Birmingham, as they get ready for a big showdown with their crosstown rival, the Opelika Bulldogs. Number two, the Lee Scott Academy Warriors. I jumped them up to number two on this list because not only have they been dominant all year, 4-0 on the year, but they knocked off their arch rival, the Glidwood Gators, 35-16. And Lee Scott Academy, even though they play in the AISA, they're still a very dominant team. And it doesn't really matter if you're 7A or if you're single A or if you're AISA. Lee Scott Academy has been playing like a championship team all season long, and they have been physically dominant, and head coach Buster Daniel has got his team playing hard. I expect Lee Scott Academy to be high in the rankings all year. Number three, the Central Red Devils. 4-1 on the year. They took on Jefferson Davis on a Saturday morning contest where they flat out won the game 42-16, and they were dominant from start to finish bouncing back after being upset by Opelika the week before. And Central and all eyes are going to be on the Central Red Devils this Friday night. And this is going to be a very hot ticket because in comes IMG Academy. This game will be televised on ESPNU. And uh, don't expect me to drop the Central Red Devils if they lose to IMG Academy. This is what they're made for. This is why Central has moments like this because they are a powerhouse in 7A for the state of Alabama that competes for state championships every year. Head coach Patrick Nix has got the Central Red Devils playing on just an incredible level with Tamarian Parker, A.J. Harris, Carmelo English, Jalen Sims. They've got players everywhere and I expect a great game this Friday night against IMG Academy. Number four, the Opelika Bulldogs. Opelika has dropped in my rankings because they went down to Prattville and they were upset by the Prattville Lions. And that's the reason why they drop in my rankings. Yes, it was a tough road contest in 7A. But Opelika, you know, the highs and lows of 7A football, you have a great win at home against the Central Red Devils. And then you turn around on the road and lose to Prattville. In overtime, the game could have gone either way. But Opelika is below Central, even though Central 
lost to Opelika is because Opelika lost to Prattville, who were upset by the Smith Station Panthers. This was a very big win for the Prattville Lions. It was one of those must-win games in region play, as Opelika is 4-1 overall, 3-1 in 7A Region 2. They get ready to take on a non-region opponent next week, Theodore, at Bulldog Stadium before their big showdown between the Auburn Tigers. Number five, the Lochapoca Indians. They knock off their arch rival, Notasalga, and Lochapoca is 5-0. They play at a very high level in single A for the state of Alabama. So number six, the Hanley Tigers. Hanley is 5-0. You got number seven, the Beauregard Hornets. Number eight, and new to my list, Realtown. After losing their opener to Tallahassee, Realtown has won three straight. Number nine, the Ufala Tigers. They drop in my list because they pick up their first loss of the season. They lose to Pike Road. There's no shame there. Pike Road did win the state championship for 5A last year. And number 10, I got Chambers Academy. After starting the year 0-2, Chambers has won three straight. All right, it's time to reveal my list for the top 10 teams in West Georgia. And there's no surprise who number one is. It is the Troop County Tigers after getting a huge win over a top 10 program in Whitewater, 43-33. to But their road is going to continue getting tougher because they got to travel to Fayetteville to take on Stars Mill on Friday night. Number two, I got the LaGrange Grangers. Look, they lose to Stars Mill 25-24 to on a two-point conversion in overtime. This game could have gone either way. Stars Mill was a top 10 team. I'm not going to drop LaGrange because they have such a great game against Stars Mill. The Grangers are a very good team, and I expect them to give Whitewater a show on Friday. Number three, you got the Carver Tigers. After having a bye, and they lose their first game to Northeast, they take on Hapeville Charter this Thursday night up in Atlanta before they start region play the following week as they will take on the Columbus Blue Devils. Number four and making the jump is the Brookstone Cougars. A convincing win over undefeated Mount Zion in that new stadium, the Max Strong Field, and the Brookstone Cougars are 3-0, still undefeated, as they got some more games, including a game against St. Ampicelli later in October. Number five, I got the St. Ampicelli Vikings, 4-1 on the season. You know, all St. Ampicelli does is win. No, they lost that close game to Tattnall Square Academy, but look at these scores. 51-14 to Lakeview Academy, 38-0 to Mount DeSales Academy, and then getting an impressive victory on the road to Stratford Academy, 21-7. They are 4-1. They take on Gatewood next week, but then it's coming. October the 7th, you got St. Ampicelli and Brookstone. That, by the way, is a big candidate for high school game of the week for that week. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I cannot wait to see the battle for the Brucelli Jug. You got number six, Northside. I saw Northside in person on Thursday night. Malachi Hosley is as good as advertised. Northside is four and one on the year after getting a big victory over Sumter County. But how far can the Northside Patriots go? After beating Sumter County 48 to 27, they have to travel to Albany to take on Westover. And then they go up to Hamilton to take on Harris County where they could start region play. And once they get into region play, I think Northside can rally off some victories as they are off to a very impressive 4-1 start. Number seven, I got the Calvary Christian Knights. 
at 4-1. They have won four straight. They have one of the best running backs in the country. Number eight, and this is where I got some criticism because somebody thinks I'm not doing a good job with these rankings because it doesn't really matter who you have beaten. I put Callaway at number eight, and I got criticized for that. Callaway is one and three. They take on Radon this Friday night. Callaway is going to be fine. They're going to continue rattling off wins, but what do you expect me to do here with Callaway? You want me to put him up in my top two, top three? They've lost three games. I still think Callaway is a good team. They're the only team on my rankings with a losing record. Number nine, I got Schley County, two and two on the year after defeating Central at Talbotton 63 to nothing. And for the final two spots in my rankings for West Georgia, there's a lot of talented two and two teams. I could have easily put Chatco, they're two and two. Manchester, two and two. Columbus, two and two after getting a big win over Shaw. I've decided to put the Spencer Green Wave at two and two after beating Kendrick on Thursday night. Northeast is really going to be a problem for the Spencer Green Wave, but they looked very impressive and I got them sneaking back into the top 10. So that's my list, the top 10 teams for East Alabama and West Georgia. All right, let's talk about the Atlanta Braves. An impressive three-game sweep over the weekend over the Philadelphia Phillies as they get ready to take on the Washington Nationals for a three-game series. But it seems like the Mets are continuing to win just as well. The New York Mets have won four straight, and they are a game above the Atlanta Braves. I still think the Atlanta Braves are going to come out on top in this division because they do play the New York Mets for a three-game series. They got the Phillies and the Nationals left, and it is going to be a fight down the stretch. The battle for the number two seed, the Dodgers have already locked up the number one seed. They've already won 100 games. You got Aaron Judge hitting home runs 58 and 59 for the New York Yankees. He's getting close to 60. And then the home run watch for Albert Pujols, he is at 698 home runs. I know he's going to get to 700. I just know it. Spencer Strider becomes the first rookie for the Atlanta Braves to record 200 strikeouts. He got the victory on Sunday. Congratulations to the Las Vegas Aces for winning the WNBA title. So Vegas gets their first championship for the first time since the 1990 UNLV Running Rebels. Well, I think it is time to bring on my co-host, Corey Bank. So when we come back, Corey and I will recap the weekend of sports. So stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. And Corey Bank is here on the show. My co-host, Corey. Hope you had a great weekend. How's it going? It's going great. I did have a great weekend. Thank you for having me back. All right. Let's talk about some games that happened over the weekend. Uh, Let's start with college first because... Uh, you were at the Auburn Penn State game, right? Oh my goodness, Richard! The electricity in that stadium was unbelievable. There were seventy-eight thousand people there. It was a sellout game, and not the result that Auburn wanted. I actually watched the game on TV, and it looked like Penn State was pushing around Auburn for four quarters as Auburn loses to the Penn State Nittany Lions. The worst home loss that Auburn has had in in 10 years. It certainly was. But uh, early on in the ball game, it was neck and neck. It was a seesaw battle. Both these teams 
a defense were really plugging up the holes per se in the beginning of the game. I'm going to first start with Penn State. What they did to take care of business was Sean Clifford was very serviceable as a quarterback. He didn't really make any mistake, and he was just managing this team going down the field, and he was able to really give the ball off to his running back, who had over 100 yards rushing, and that was Singleton. Singleton, almost every single time he carried that football, it was electric for the Nittany Lions. And really, that's where they won the game. They won the game in the trenches, wearing out Auburn. All right, does Brian Harson survive the season? I think Brian Harson has another week or two to prove himself to see what kind of game plan he can come up with next week to see schematically if he can get it done. Well, Auburn has got Missouri and LSU at home, and they've got to win both games for Brian Harson to keep his job because, Corey, this is where the schedule gets tough. At Georgia, at Ole Miss, they host Arkansas, and then at Mississippi State, and then, of course, at the end of the season, the Iron Bowl. I don't know how Brian Harson survives this season. I I expected Auburn had to go eight and four in order for Brian Harson to keep his job. I don't even see a seven and five record. I think that Auburn, at best, is probably going to finish six and six. In order for them to get something going, they're going to have to find out the developmental process of their quarterback, TJ Finley. We need to find out who's going to play the quarterback position for Auburn. They were rotating both those quarterbacks. Uh, in Saturday's game, but unfortunately, they still haven't found out their identity of what kind of offense they are. Yeah, they could not get the run game going, only averaged three and a half yards a carry. Uh, Tank Bigsby did not get a whole lot of carries, but when you're behind as, as much as Auburn was, you know, you had to lead to TJ Fanley and Robbie Ashford taking turns at the quarterback position and trying to pass their way back into the game. But I watched that game and I saw Penn State just push Auburn around, especially on the line of scrimmage. And that's not supposed to happen to an SEC school that is supposed to be in the top 25 in the recruiting class. And Penn State, I know they're a Big Ten team and they are ranked and they are a good team, but a Big Ten team normally does not come down to the south and knock off an SEC team, especially in the Plains with the home field advantage that Auburn has. That's very true. And another thing is is that they had a very hard time slowing down the receiver from the Nittany Lions, Tinsley. Tinsley was just getting open on man-to-man coverages. They were just throwing the ball over the top, and they got to do better of figuring out and surveying the field in their secondary. All right, let's move on to the Georgia-South Carolina game because I actually thought this could be a trap game. You got Georgia going to a hostile environment in Columbia, South Carolina with Spencer Rattler, who was a Heisman Trophy favorite last year for Oklahoma. I know they gave up that late touchdown. It was all Georgia. It was all Stetson Bennett. Brock Bowers got going in the passing game. He had five receptions for 121 yards. They really spread the ball out around Georgia had 208 yards rushing. Not one running back had more than 30 yards. So you had Stetson Bennett that ran the ball. You had Kendall Milton. Kenny McIntosh only had four carries. Georgia has so much depth. I mean, that is the story for the Georgia Bulldogs is that they have not skipped a beat. They're still the number one ranked team in the country. And I believe 
that they are the favorites to repeat as national champions. The thing is with the Georgia Bulldogs, Richard, is that they are a team that they just rotate their players. Like you said, they don't really have a single star at a particular position because every single hole they fill is a great player. And that's the makings of a team that can go on the road to winning a national championship potentially. Setson Bennett has been serviceable at the quarterback position. He's been doing enough. He's been an actual great leader. I know people were second-guessing him going to the season because he was a walk-on. What a great story with Setson Bennett. The Georgia Bulldog team knew that they had to take care of business. And going into this week's game, South Carolina had two major crucial injuries that were ACL tears at both the linebacker position and the defensive end position. And they surely exploited that in that game on Saturday, Richard. All right, Corey, let's talk about the Crimson Tide. They got a big win over Louisiana Monroe, 63-7. to Despite Bryce Young throwing two interceptions, the Crimson Tide respond after getting a narrow win last week against the Texas Longhorns, 20-19. to And Alabama has shown that they are the second-best team in the country. And they play Vanderbilt next week, but... I'm telling you, Corey, their schedule's getting a lot tougher. I think these games are going to be tight. They got to play at Arkansas. They got to play at Tennessee, at LSU, at Ole Miss. It's tough to win on the road in the SEC. But do you think that Bama's going to figure it out? Are they going to run the table and be on a collision course to meet Georgia in the SEC championship game? Or do you see a loss or two in the, on that schedule because Bama's just not the same team as they were last year? I think Alabama's going to take care of business in every one of these games, but it's going to be a nail-biter. And it's because normally with Alabama, you see more talent at the skill set positions, Richard. You notice that at the wide receiver position, it's not really exactly the same. They know that Bryce Young is not like the other quarterbacks they've had over the years and the amount of weapons he has of all the positions. So where they're going to win these games are going to be in the trenches. They're going to have to open up the holes for the running back. They're going to have to make it nasty in these games. They're going to, have to make it so that why they got the five-star recruits at the offensive line position and defensive line position so that they're linebackers, which is actually what they're known for, linebackers, defensive backs, running backs, and receivers, so that the linebackers can get into the holes, survey the fields, and really plug up those holes and be able to go sideline to sideline. Their trenches is going to be where they beat teams later on in the uh, games. And the reason why is because Coach Nick Saban makes sure that this team is very conditioned, and this is exactly where they get their money made. Corey, here's a really cool stat. Tell me if you think this is cool. For the first time in history, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Kentucky – I know that sounds like a great Final Four for NCAA basketball. All four teams are 3-0. and You don't really see that often, Richard. It's pretty incredible. It's been an interesting season. And as we saw Appalachian State coming up with a win again this week, it's been a crazy year in college football. And all of those teams having that record at this point in the season, it's been absolutely incredible. 
and especially for the Kansas Jayhawks, who just won the NCAA championship in basketball, and their football team is looking pretty good 3-0 so far. So good for all four teams. Corey, let's go ahead and switch gears and talk about the NFL because we had some crazy finishes in the National Football League, especially with your New York Jets. How did the Jets pull that off? You know, the Browns were up 30-17, to and there's two minutes to go. Two minutes to go with – I don't think the Jets had any timeouts, but – you know, the, the Browns were could have iced the game. Nick Chubb could have just stayed at the one-yard line. They could have kneeled, but he wanted that touchdown. They gave the Cleveland Browns a 99.9% chance to win the game. I always look at, like, the score projections on on uh, on the scoreboard because I, I have a an app where it tells the, uh, the win probability. So the win probability for the Cleveland Browns was 99.9. Corey. How did your Jets pull that off? It's pretty unreal. I watched this game personally, and Robert Sala's team never gave up. They had every reason to give up in this football game. And in those final two minutes of the game, minute 55 remaining, when Joe Flacco was bringing his team down the football field, and he threw that strike to Corey Davis right down the field, on that skinny post for that touchdown, that was unreal. And that got the crowd really upset. I was seeing the the crowd really get stunned by what was happening. And then Braden Mann, my goodness. The Jets got him for multiple aspects of a kicking game. Dials up an incredible onside kick. When they got that, the entire atmosphere of the field and the stadium was just silent. And at that point in time, when it was about a minute 15 remaining on the clock, and Joe Flacco leading his team down the field, surveying the field, and then throwing a strike to Garrett Wilson in the end zone to ice the game. What an incredible performance by the rookie having over 100 yards and his second game ever as a Jet. But the thing is, is that the defense really stepped up, per se. In that regard, Sauce Gardner had a really great game defending. Uh, in, in, in this regard, the Jets pulled out a very improbable victory, but it has a lot to do with character going into this week and giving them hope. It's the first time they won a football game in September in four years wow and the jets of course have the longest postseason drought in the nfl they have not made the playoffs since 2010 that was back when mark sanchez led the new york jets to two straight afc championship games that was a fun team you remember those days rex ryan was coaching and that defense was great with bart scott and just some playmakers and uh, hopefully the jets can get back to those uh, days when they made it to the AFC Championship game. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about another improbable comeback because, you know, we're not done. There was a ton of improbable comebacks in the NFL yesterday. The Baltimore Ravens had a 35-14 to lead over the Miami Dolphins going into the fourth quarter, and I was happy because I had Lamar Jackson on my fantasy team, and he definitely needs to get paid. He showed it for three quarters. And then all of a sudden, it's Tua time. Tua Tungavailova comes out of nowhere 
and leads the Miami Dolphins back, wins the game 42-38. to And if you had Tua on your fantasy team, he threw six touchdowns, tied a franchise record with the Miami Dolphins. Bob Greasy and Dan Marino has that record with six touchdowns. Are you a believer in Tua? Tua has all the cases to being a great quarterback this year. You have Tyreek Hill, who had over 10 catches, 190 yards, and two touchdowns, and Jalen Waddell. You had two of these guys that had over 10 catches and over 170 yards receiving and two touchdowns. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable for those Dolphins. It's Cooper Rush time in Dallas. Uh, what a incredible win over the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I know that everybody in Dallas was panicking when Dak Prescott went out with that injury, but Cooper Rush leads the Dallas Cowboys to a victory over the Cincinnati Bengals. For most of the game, Dallas was leading. They had a 17-3 to lead, but in Bengal fashion, Joe Burrow, you never count him out. He leads the charge all the way back and ties the ball game at 17, but then Brett Mayer, walks it off with a 50-yard field goal. They were kind of in the same spot in the divisional wildcard game last year when they were trying to rally against the 49ers. But is this a win that Dallas can like be confident about knowing that Cooper Rush is not Dak Prescott? But when Dak Prescott gets back, if Cooper Rush wins some games for the Cowboys, the Cowboys should be fine when Dak Prescott returns. So this Dallas Cowboy team... They played tough. They played stout. Leighton Vanderesh had a very good game as a linebacker, filling the gaps for the Cowboys and really surveying the field. So excellent day for him. Now, this team really put it together. They got the running game going and dialed up. Cooper Rush was serviceable at quarterback. He didn't really make any mistakes. 230 yards passing. He did a good job managing the football game. Now, he was able to get out to the receiver's the likes of a C.D. Lamb, the likes of a Wilson, they were really staying consistent and letting their team really, once again, the common theme, it was the trenches. They were wearing them down, and they did an excellent job not allowing them any rush yards. Joe Mixon didn't do much on the ground for the Bengals, and Joe Burrow really didn't take care of business there. It's really the story of the Cowboys' defense and why they won this game this week. All right, Corey. Let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons because, in my opinion, when the Rams went up 28 to 3, I mean, come on, Corey, the announcers couldn't control themselves. The 28 to 3 jokes flooded the internet. We're all guilty of it. You look at the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, they had some miscues. You know, they marched down the field. Young Way Koo misses a field goal, but the Falcons never quit. And, Corey, they almost pulled it off. I, they had the ball down 31 to 25. And if Aaron Donald didn't step up on defense, putting pressure on Mariota with Jalen Ramsey with the pick in the end zone, which is like inches away from the Falcons receiver. I think that the Atlanta Falcons could have won that game. And really, this Falcons team is not as bad as people think they are. And they're going to be very entertaining this year, even though they're 0-2. That is for sure. Mariota had a really decent day. And that Falcons defense really... When they were dialing it up and they needed to get it done, they truly were. And then you have Cordell Patterson, who once again has been emerging as their main feature back. And another week, the veteran, 
had a great has a great day in that regard. And Marcus Mariota really spreading it out for his receiving core. It's very pivotal for them to stay in games because when that happens, the crowd will get behind them. And when you're able to feed it off with a crowd that is very tough in Atlanta like that, and being able to show that you have promise, it shows they have no quit. A no quit mentality is everything for those birds. But they did lose the game 31 to 27. The Falcons are 0 and 2. I liked seeing Drake London get involved as he had a very good day receiving eight receptions, 86 yards for a touchdown. I'm surprised they're not targeting Kyle Pitts more. He did not have a very good game. The Falcons offense is going to figure this out. But like you said, the defense, I think A.J. Terrell is is really a great corner that did have an interception on Matthew Stafford. They never quit. I mean, they could have easily gave up and could have got blown out by the Super Bowl champs. But the Falcons, they were in a game on the road in L.A. with a chance to win it with minutes to go in the game. And that's all you got to ask for yourself. Nobody's expecting the Falcons to make the playoffs this year. This is supposed to be a rebuilding year. But if they can show some things that can lead to next season, look out. The future is going to be bright for the Falcons. I know that a lot of skeptical fans were saying put in Desmond Ritter because he is the future of this team. But Marcus Mariota is that type of player that is going to make plays. And he had a decent game. I mean, he threw two picks, but he had two touchdowns and a quarterback rating of 80. So Marcus Mariota is going to be a, a player. I think that Marcus Mariota right now with his age and his skill set is an upgrade to Matt Ryan because you look at Matt Ryan and what he is doing in Indianapolis, you, you know that age is catching up with him and he has regressed. Corey, as always, thank you so much. Uh, and I'll, uh, I will talk to you later this week as we're looking to have a great week of talking nothing but sports. Thank you for having me on, Richard. Have a great day. All right. That is my co-host, Corey Bank. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the show. And we will see you tomorrow. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.